I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. Ireland is digging in its heels over Brexit. Leo Varadkar, the Irish Prime Minister, is threatening to veto an agreement next week to move the Brexit talks forward onto the longer-term relationship between Britain and the EU. Irish objections are now seen as the biggest obstacle to a breakthrough at the EU summit in mid-December. Mr Varadkar wants written guarantees that there will be no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic once Britain leaves. But the UK has ruled out staying in the customs union or the single market and wants to diverge from EU rules in some areas. It is hard to see how a soft border can work. Joining me to discuss the Irish dimension to the Brexit talks are our correspondent in Dublin, Arthur Beasley, and here in London, our Brexit news editor, Dan Dombey. Dan, if I might start with you, can you just explain the Irish problem, as it were, in the context of the so-called divorce talks that we are now just reaching a crunch point in? Well, exactly. Britain is just about to enter the most important phase of these negotiations so far. These were negotiations that began in June. It was all kicked off in March when Britain formally served the EU with its notice to leave. And what Britain really, really, really wants to do right now is move forward to those talks about future status, those talks about a transition, so that it can reassure business that it's not going to fall off a cliff, that everything is in hand, that it's got this. But to do that, according to the agenda that the EU's drawn up and the UK's signed off on, it has to make sufficient progress on three big issues. That's the Brexit bill, how much we're paying to settle all our liabilities, citizens' rights, what's the rights of the three million EU citizens who live in the UK and the one million UK citizens who live in the EU, and Ireland. Ireland, 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 because the whole issue is that's where the land border is going to be with the uh, EU, that is going to be a level of complication in something that the EU's seen as a big success, the Good Friday Agreement and the common travel area that predates uh, both countries' entry to the EU. For a long time, it seemed like there was a difficult issue, a relatively easy issue and an impossible issue, and people weren't really focusing on the impossible issue. The difficult issue was the money, which now seems closer to be resolved. The easy issue was citizens' rights. And people thought Ireland was pretty hard to solve, given that we were headed out of the single market, but the Irish wouldn't kick up a fuss. But kick up a fuss they have, and so far they've been backed by the Commission and the rest of the EU. Arthur, why is the soft border so important to Dublin? Well, there are uh, two central concerns. The first is that any re-emergence of Czechs on the frontier between the Republic and Northern Ireland would be a setback for the peace process and for the Good Friday Agreement, which in place now for 19 years has transformed the reality of life in Northern Ireland, which was marred for three decades by a very intensive sectarian conflict. The second uh, source of concern in Dublin is that this would... Uh, compromise trade over the border 
And also that if you have accepted the principle of border checks on the Irish border, well, then you're going to have the you're going to at the same time have uh, be accepting the principle of border checks on the trade between the Republic of Ireland and Great Britain. Britain remains Ireland's largest single trading partner. The totality of Ireland's trade with Britain over and back across the Irish Sea uh, in 2015 was worth 65 billion euro. And Dublin is very concerned to avoid anything that would undermine that very important commerce. But given that uh, Ireland has arguably most to lose from uh, a failure in the Brexit talks or a hard Brexit uh, or a no-deal Brexit, uh, why is Leo Varadkar uh, taking such a hard line at this moment? I think that can be explained by concern in Dublin that Theresa May, the UK Prime Minister, has established as a matter of principle, even before notice to leave was served, that Britain, uh, on the other side of Brexit, would be out of both the EU customs union and the internal market. And that's very, very, very problematic for Ireland in the context of its trade with Britain. Uh, You can look at it this way. The view in Dublin is that essentially that London has preempted the trade talks by ruling out a solution in which it would remain in the customs union and the internal market. And Dublin on the other side is saying, well, if that is the case, we are going to rule out any solution in which you would have a, a border in Ireland, anything that would involve checks along the frontier as traffic and people and animals and everything else uh, goes over and across the border. Dan, one of the calculations perhaps in uh, London is that at the end of the day, the big EU member states will lean on uh, Dublin to compromise on this issue. Do you, do you think that's uh, a, a wise assumption? I think it's very difficult and risky at the moment. Clearly, this is the British assumption. Uh, they've offered a very generous financial settlement from all accounts, including our own, of basically meeting the roughly 100 billion euro gross Brexit bill. Now, that's a prize that the other members of EU, both the big contributors like Germany and the big recipients like Poland, want to grasp. They don't want Ireland to blow this whole issue up, and there may be limits to their solidarity. Um, So that clearly is the calculation made by the Brits. But equally, every single member of EU also realises that this is their moment of maximum leverage. These talks about a transition deal, which the Brits really want to be in place by no later than the end of March, so that companies can plan 12 months in advance of our exit date, this is something that is crucial to the British government. So on the one hand, the Brits think that they've given a big carrot on the financial settlement so that they can hold tough on Ireland. On the other, the EU is very aware that it has leverage. The Brits hope they can square this difference by using the aspirational language that they've used so far, so they've insisted, for the record, throughout... Um, that they don't want any hard border on on Ireland, but they haven't really thought that through, it seems, that much in concrete um, proposals beyond stuff that they've put in uh, documents that almost looks like hostage notes from senior civil servants drawing up this stuff, saying that the solutions of Britain's British have come up for avoiding a border despite divergent regulations would be, quote, unprecedented, challenging to implement, technology-based solutions and other words that look like warning signals and real doubt about how you ever would implement such a plan. So is part of the problem here that actually the Brits have just not come forward with detailed proposals on how to overcome these issues? Or or, or is it something much more fundamental? 
Well, the the Irish have been very logical. The Irish are saying basically, there's a regulatory divert. If there's a regulatory divergence between Britain and the Republic of Ireland, how can you avoid border checks? They also say if there are 142 areas of cooperation between the Republic and Northern Ireland, how on earth are you going to continue those when there is such divergence? The Brits have said in a paper that came out this summer, well, maybe we can have trusted traders who we trust are not going to be broaching the border with anything they shouldn't. Maybe we'll have special tracking devices to make sure that goods or uh, or, uh, components don't go to the UK when they should be headed for the rest of the EU. Maybe we will do stuff like that. But to be absolutely honest, this is very, in the formal papers, it's very, very sketched out. To many people, it looks like an insoluble problem. One person says that perhaps the solution will be, in the end, the Brits will put faith in technology for policing the border rather than a hard border, which practically means that they'll turn a blind eye to a little bit of smuggling, a little bit of bleeding across the border. But certainly, if there was an easy solution to hand, someone would have come up with it by now. And Arthur, a a big factor here uh, is that... uh, the Conservative uh, minority government in the UK is supported by the DUP, a hardline Ulster Unionist party, uh, which has been a, a strong Eurosceptic voice in the North. How intransigent should they be? Well, I, it, it, it's really quite interesting because the majority in Northern Ireland was to remain in the referendum, even though the DUP, which is the largest unionist and largest single party in Northern Ireland, uh, was advocating a Brexit. And uh, that party is now propping up Theresa May's government. And that makes it uh, all the more difficult for Theresa May to uh, compromise or to provide some, uh, some leeway in uh, the statement that will be issued in the conclusions of the European summit uh, is as regards to Ireland. In other words, she is not at liberty uh, right now in the talks to go uh, further than she might uh, for political reasons in order to open up the next phase of the talks. And I think a lot of people are acutely conscious of that, but Dublin still says, hold on a minute, these are very, very, very vital uh, national interests and that uh, Dublin simply is not going to be in a position at this time to countenance capitulation. And Arthur, um, Leah Varadkar uh, has had a pretty uh, torrid week. He's been bruised, badly bruised, by a political crisis in Dublin that cost him his deputy's political position and nearly brought his government to the brink of collapse. Um, how do you think that will play out uh, in this in his Brexit calculations? Will be will he be even more tempted to take a hard line, or or will he cut his losses? I, I think there's a sense in the first instance that there's a sense of great relief here that an election has been averted, that uh, he doesn't go to the crucial European summit in Brussels on the 14th of December uh, as a Taoiseach who's in the middle of an election campaign. Um, I think there's broad political consensus here behind the stance adopted by the Taoiseach. And I think the concern really would be is that, is that if he is seen to relent and to accept something that would be deemed... Uh, rather less substantial than the very firm binding commitment that has been see- that, that he has been seeking, well then that, that could cre- create a political problem for him uh, back in Dublin. So I think the stakes are pretty high. He emerges this week with his government intact, but his authority diminished. And that uh, means that it's going to be all the more important for him to achieve 
uh, result, a result in the very difficult talks to come in coming days. OK, well, it seems that uh, Ireland's relations with the UK are going to be badly strained by the uh, whole Brexit process. Uh, and this story has a long way to run. My thanks to Dan Dombey and to Arthur Beasley. World Weekly is produced by David Blood. Until next week, goodbye. If you enjoyed this discussion, you might also enjoy Brexit Unspun, a weekly Financial Times podcast that looks at the impact of Brexit on different sectors of the UK economy. In Monday's episode, we'll be looking at borders and trade. You can listen at ft.com slash Brexit Unspun or subscribe on any of the usual podcast apps. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.